Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 3, 2, 1, go. Welcome to NYCBD with Jeffrey Hill on, on, on 710 WOR. Welcome. I'm Jeffrey Hill, your host right here on 710 WOR Radio in New York City. With me, as always, is my producer, Anthony Filippolio. How flips. long have we been doing this show? I think this is our 42nd week. And not, not only do I think, this is our 42nd week, my brother. Wow. Yeah, I know. And That's I've a lot seen, of shows. You know how many Yankee hats I've seen on you? Between the Yankees, the Giants. Uh, I have one Yankee hat. Well, I, I think you've, you've, <laughs> you've, you've mastered what I consider to be the overall you know, kind of New York apparel, though. Yeah, right? true. I mean, I, I have a habit of matching my hoodies with my sneakers. You should be stuff. excited about the Yankees this I, year, right? I mean, yes. it looks like power there. The well, Red Sox I mean, except traded for, away their team. And, except for you know. Severino going down for the whole year, but. Well, yeah, but other it, than that, that seems to be a detail. I mean, it, at some at some point, you know, they, the Yankees need to help out the rest of the rest they'll, of the division. True, they'll pick up some pitching somewhere. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was interested to see uh, Houston's first game the other day. Pretty, pretty remarkable, right? After the whole cheating scandal and all the rest of it. Yeah, were they booed pretty much the whole it, game? They, was, they yeah. were booed top to bottom. And Altuve, you know, who's an amazing player with an amazing energy, he took the brunt of it, which was pretty amazing. Well, yeah, no, he won't show his tattoo apparently. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> All right, we're available right here every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. on 710 WOR Radio in New York City. And then the show becomes available as a podcast on the iHeartRadio app, iTunes, and Spotify. Just search NYCBD with Jeffrey Hill. We're also shooting the show live for you on our YouTube channel, which can be found at NYCBD Official. We found out that we had our comments turned off. So oh, if yeah. You, if you, that was my bad. Yeah, there you go. Well done. Well done, <laughs> Flips. I looked at it and I said, hey, no comments. What's yeah, happening that was, here? that was my fault. Oh, yeah. Good job. So uh, if you guys that are watching on YouTube could get on there. Comment on those vests. A comment that would be helpful. Yeah. Uh, I'd rather have, have some comments on the content of the show, but, you know, whatever, whatever makes well, yeah, you no, feel we, good. You could always give us a thumbs down or a thumbs up on the, on the vest. There you go. All right. As you all know, there are four segments of the show. The first segment is called Cannabis in the Tri-State Plus One, which is Massachusetts. We'll update you on key cannabis issues in all four states. The second segment is called Stunning and Amazing Facts, what I consider to be the most relevant issues and opportunities in the space since last week. I'm going to say it this week. Each segment is called a stunner. Now, you know, Flips was sitting there. He was all ready to go. He I was, was. He was prepared to, to let it go, but I decided, you know, we needed to change the flow. Actually, after, after, there's a couple of songs that the word stunner is in, so yes. I'm going I'm to get creative. All right, a couple, there you the next go. That, that would be helpful because a little yeah. creativity on your, on your part would be yeah. extremely valid, valuable. <laughs> Third segment is called Today's Guest. We're thrilled to have with us Charles Feldman. Charles has many titles. He has served as a trusted advisor for the cannabis industry's largest and most profitable businesses on an international scale. He uses his vast experience as a Marine Corps federal prosecutor, a DEA drug task force commander, and state narcotics prosecutor to assist his clients in establishing strict regulatory compliance protocols at the state, federal, and internationally as well. 
It represents clients across the globe at the corporate level, as well as the leadership of many countries. So that'll be fascinating. In fact, of all the guests that we've had on the air up to now, all 42 weeks, I would say that Charles represents the broadest and deepest background that we could find across many of the critical issues. We're going to devote most of our time today to that interview, since I think it is very deep and we can all learn a lot from it. All right. Lastly, we will end with our fourth segment called Your Messages, providing answers to the most interesting direct messages we received following last week's show. Interestingly, we're getting most of our messages now are are all about kind of health, which I find fascinating. A number of people are sending me notes about uh, kids having various pain problems. We even got one on epilepsy, which you'll hear a little bit later. I find it fascinating um, that many, many people in the listening audience are beginning to look to the show for kind of medicinal direction. Recall, that is not what I'm about, i.e., I am not a doctor by any means. I certainly have studied the space very carefully, and I'm happy to answer your letters, but I do suggest that you um, that you obviously chat with um, your, local, uh, your local medical support for most of those answers. Having said that, we'll be back with our first segment, Cannabis in the Tri-State, plus one, right after this. Are you waking up the day after a workout, tennis match, or even a long walk just feeling it? Introducing CBDeliveryNY.com to help you live the life you know you can. They carry superior CBD made from the highest quality hemp, grown and harvested under the strictest regulations. Their ambassadors are certified trainers, physical therapists, and yoga teachers. They have gone through a rigorous education program, helping them understand what the power of plants can do for your overall wellness. So start 2020 off right. Try one of their New Year's product bundles. Go to CBDeliveryNY.com. That's CBDeliveryNY.com to find out what the power of plants can do for you. Just get ready to work. Welcome back to NYCBD with Jeffrey Hill right here on 710 WOR Radio every Sunday at 8 a.m. The show becomes a podcast on iHeartRadio, iTunes, and Spotify right after the show airs. We also have a YouTube channel and full social media all at NYCBD Official. All right, let's move on to the first segment of our show, Canvas and Tri-State Plus One. And like every week, we begin with New York. And once again, the star of the show in New York, of course, is Governor Andrew Cuomo. Uh, just just not going to say anything. Okay, there you go. For those of you who listen to the show every week, you've heard a number of comments from Flips. Usually they sound more like uh, animal sounds. Yeah, we're, we'll leave it alone this time. All right, very good, very good. In fact, uh, all of the Cuomo supporters appreciate that. He is making the rounds as he prepares for the legalization of marijuana in the Empire State. He announced he would be taking trips to California, Colorado, Illinois, and Massachusetts, all state where cannabis is legal for recreational use. He wants to do that to educate himself as he pushes for legalization. The governor said he will meet with officials in those states to discuss what worked and what didn't work during the lead-up to the legalization of cannabis. Cuomo has previously stated he wants legalization passed by state officials before April 1st of 2020, when the state budget must be approved. Cuomo has previously held a joint summit on the controversial topic with governors in New Jersey and Connecticut, who are also pushing for legal marijuana in their states as well. I also want to make sure that it is done correctly, he said, and I am looking to states that have legalized marijuana. Many of them have generated more questions and some answers, Cuomo stated. I also want to make sure that it is done correctly, he said, and I'm looking to states that have legalized marijuana. Many of them have generated many of the questions and hopefully have some of the answers. 
Cuomo said that one of the critical issues he wants to explore is social equity. We want to make sure young people can get their fair share as they move forward, especially people who have been most impacted by the space. This whole issue of social equity became a very important topic on the most recent presidential debate. We'll get into that in just a little bit. All right, let's move on to New Jersey. Just a brief update here. First on medical use. A lawsuit by 25 New Jersey medical cannabis business applicants has forced regulators to halt its application review for the expansion of the state's medical cannabis program, according to a NewJersey.com report. The expansion bill was signed into law by Governor Phil Murphy, a Democrat, of course, in July after lawmakers failed to pass comprehensive recreation legalization reforms. Medical cannabis regulators in New Jersey disqualified 51 of more than 190 applicants in the recent licensing review round for a variety of issues, including lack of local approval, site control, corrupted files, and non-payment of fees. In total, New Jersey regulators are planning to add about 109 new dispensaries throughout the state. Currently, just seven are operational in the state, and they serve 60,000 patients. All right, think about that, ladies and gentlemen. we got 60,000 patients, and I think the most recent number is closer to 70,000. And we've only got just a just seven that are open. That's 10,000 patients per dispensary. If you think about the amount of money that the average person spends, which is three to $5,000 if they're committed to the product and their doctors are recommending it, just that patient base against those seven dispensaries makes one hell of a business. Flips. I think you and I, perhaps, we should be thinking about taking out some dispensary licenses in New Jersey. Your it's thoughts? not a bad idea. I want to put one on Hoboken. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. Well, Hoboken is, that is makes up so for much one. money, yeah. The thing about this is 109 dispensaries kind of waiting in the wings, yeah. right? They've only got seven that are agreed to. The state governor is pushing hard to get more out there, and yet nothing's happening. I think Hoboken, Hoboken and Jersey City would probably make a yeah. whole load of money. And I guess the question, you know, the, the, the why question is pretty fascinating, right? And the answer to the why question is. Crazy things. What seems to be little nits and lice, right? Corrupted files, non-payment of fees on time, site control, etc. I completely agree that there needs to be carefully controlled rules and regulations, but the kinds of things that New Jersey is struggling with seems to be pretty basic. All right, let's look look at the adult use side of New Jersey. As we have discussed in previous shows, both chambers of the New Jersey legislature have approved legislation to put adult use cannabis legalization to voters during next next year's general election. The measure passed the Senate and the Assembly by a similar two-thirds to one-third margin. The question on the ballot will read, this is actually the wording, all right, do you approve amending the Constitution to legalize a controlled form of marijuana called cannabis? Only adults at least 21 years of age could use it. The state commission created to oversee the state's medical cannabis program would also oversee the new personal use cannabis market. Cannabis products would be subject to state sales tax. If authorized by the legislature, a municipality may pass a local ordinance to charge a local tax on cannabis products. All right. So think about that, ladies and gentlemen. you got a state tax. you got an excise tax. It's a long question. you got a local tax. There's a lot of taxing going on. All right. So clearly one of the fundamental reasons why most governors are excited about the space is because of the incremental money associated with taxation. All right. That opens the door perhaps to the black market, which is not, you know, surcharged with tax and can therefore basically offer product to the population that in many instances is of pretty significant quality at a much reduced rate. All right, we're going to get into that issue quite a bit more in a little bit. Let's move on to Connecticut. 
legalizing marijuana is definitely on the agenda for the new legislative session in Hartford that just began. The push is on to pass it in the assembly, but there is also talk about putting it to the voters. Language approved by three legislative committees last year included expungement for those convicted of past cannabis selling related crimes and targeting urban communities for growing and retail licenses. Also, there's a $50 per ounce excise tax plus a 6.35% sales tax. There you go again. All right. All those levels of taxation. Governor Lamont says it's inevitable. Quote, at some point, we're not going to surrender cannabis to the black market. We're going to have it as part of a regional regulated market, close quote, the governor said. All right. So one of the critical issues, and I'll be curious to see how this comes down, is that while many of these governors have gotten together, ultimately the question is one of taxes. How much tax will be charged at the municipal level, at the excise tax level, and at the state level? When you add all three of those up, it better be pretty equal between, let's say, Massachusetts and New York, as an example, or Connecticut and New York and Massachusetts. Otherwise, I think my car goes across the state, flips. How about your car? Does it, go, does it drive across the state? It does, yeah. I, I think it does. So if you had a 10%. As long as it's not snowing. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. if you had a 10% savings opportunity by driving across the state because the state taxes in one state are significantly greater than the other, what are you going to do? I mean, as long as they're both legal in both states, I'll go wherever it's cheaper. There you go. Yeah. I mean, look at what happened with, uh, you know, spirits, right? The amount of people that ended up going across the border to New Hampshire yeah. to buy their spirits because it's state-controlled Or even spirits. from New York to Jersey. Exactly right. Yeah. Or look at cigarettes. $15 for cigarettes in New York City, $5 for cigarettes in New Jersey. Yeah. What's the difference? $11 yeah. of Syntax. Same thing with that. gas. Syntax. gas also. Gas as well. Yeah. I know. I've got some friends who literally live on the west side of New York, and they drive through the tunnel to go get gas and then come on back. That's remarkable. Not a bad idea, <laughs> considering there's no gas stations in New York. So well, that's much. a bit of a problem as well. Yeah. All right, let's move on to Massachusetts. Despite the almost $500 million in adult use sales last year, BDS Analytics, a leading data supplier in the space, of whom the CEO... Roy Bingham was on our show about 15 shows ago, found that the illicit cannabis market is about 90%, let me repeat that, 90% of total Massachusetts sales last year, which is even greater than the projected 80% that California represents, right? So if you think that $500 million was the adult use number and 90% of that, uh, 90% more, if you will, is being done illegally, just imagine how big that business could actually be if Massachusetts could get all of these issues ironed out. Customers in Massachusetts have complained about long lines and too few legal outlets to purchase cannabis from, which in turn incentivizes them to purchase it illegally and potentially with unsafe products. Right? In this climate, police leaders say they are unsure of their role. Think about that. Right? Here we have Massachusetts, federally illegal, legal at the state level. And it's not just Massachusetts. It's all the other 11 states where this, where this is legal. Who's caught in the middle? Well, the police are caught in the middle. Right? In some states like New Jersey, which we've pounded on quite regularly on this show, right? You've got 600 people a week still being arrested by the police in that state, yet they're going to referendum very quickly, and we all know that referendum is going to pass. In Massachusetts, they're caught between a rock and a hard place. They are already adult use. It's federally illegal, and indeed, there's a number of issues that make it illegal as well in terms of carrying, using, etc., right? So they're a little confused on what to do, right? The police are confused, former Boston Police Commissioner Ed Davis said Thursday at the Northeast Cannabis Business Conference. After legalization, he said the police have a lot of demand to do other things. So they simply moved away from enforcement in that area because the people have spoken. 
And I think that's how it should go down, right? Once it becomes legal at the state level, I'm not sure exactly what the policeman's role is, right? Ultimately, if they're, if people are driving while intoxicated, that's a critical issue. Although it's yet to be proven that consumption of cannabis at any normal level, unlike alcohol with just two drinks, impairs driving. All right, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, my thoughts on the critical issue. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Choose in the Tri-State Plus Massachusetts. When we come back, we will move on to our next segment, Stunning and Amazing Facts. So come on right back. Are you waking up the day after a workout, tennis match, or even a long walk just feeling it? Introducing CBDeliveryNY.com to help you live the life you know you can. They carry superior CBD made from the highest quality hemp, grown and harvested under the strictest regulations. Their ambassadors are certified trainers, physical therapists, and yoga teachers. They have gone through a rigorous education program, helping them understand what the power of plants can do for your overall wellness. So start 2020 off right. Try one of their New Year's product bundles. Go to CBDeliveryNY.com. That's CBDeliveryNY.com to find out what the power of plants can do for you. On the road again. Welcome back to NYCBD with Jeffrey Hill right here on 710WOR Radio every Sunday at 8 a.m. The show moves into a podcast on most of the podcast channels just search NYCBD official. We also have a full range of social and a YouTube at NYCBD official. All right, let's move on to the next segment of our show, Stunning and Amazing Facts. And let's go with the first stunner. And I think the most stunning thing that I've seen in some time is the last two presidential debates, especially last night. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was quite remarkable. Yeah. There was seven people on the podium. Uh, and they all had some very interesting positions to take. I know most of them. I didn't get a chance to watch it, but most of them were in favor, right, of uh, legalizing Yeah, well, we're going to get into yeah. that right about now. But I, th- I thought the most amazing thing was when uh, Senator Warren went right after our good friend. Uh, Blueberry? Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty amazing because. I think she's going to end up being Bernie's running mate. Well, that'll perhaps that's the yeah. deal. That's an interesting comment because think, Bernie is so. is clear, you know, clearly the leader. Yeah, and if they don't catch him shortly, right, Super Tuesday's coming up. There's yeah. a good chance that you know it's going to be a runaway train, which is very hard to believe, right? Yeah. Having said that, Warren continues to kind of you know aim all of her bullets, and yep. some of them are quite large at the ex mayor. Right? Yeah. It's interesting. Bloomberg, fifty-five billion dollars, has been so successful. His business is successful. He spent, I think. Almost, ha- I don't even know how much he spent already. Got a half a billion dollars. Yeah, yeah. Um, Just on commercials alone. Yeah, but what's what, what's fascinating is the guy has done so many things that basically address many of the issues: yeah. climate change, all kinds of things that he's doing for uh, education and a number of other things. And yet he can't seem to find a way to step up and communicate. Oh, he's terrible. He's just taken all these bullets all over the head and shoulders, and he and he can't seem to kind of you know take any direct hit and turn it into a glancing blow. Horrendous at debates. It's just terrible. It's, it's fascinating. Yeah. You know, they they say that one of the reasons is because when you're, I guess, when you're the leader of the company and you're a billionaire, that not that many people challenge you. Yeah, I mean, where's his team? 
Like, shouldn't his well, team be helping I think with the bits? Te- I think his team is all over, and I think they are helping him. I think it's just not a strength of his, and unfortunately, running for president is becoming kind of a very visual activity, and if you're not good on television and you're yeah, not good true. in these debates, you don't have a real chance of getting there. That's very true. I mean, look at our look at our existing president, Yeah, right? He has a paucity of things that he has delivered in the way of virtually anything from a um, – from a political perspective, yeah, he's, a, he's amazing at rallies, and yet he can go out script. there and get get yeah. get his base mm-hmm. so fired up. It's it's impossible for me to me for me to believe that ninety two percent of the Republican community is so kind of in Trump's corner. There's sometimes I can't believe he's still the president. Well, yeah. yeah. Anyway, I mean, I've never seen anything quite like it. I mean, the numbers are remarkable. All right, so let's talk about the Democratic presidential debate, which was in Southern Cali- Southern uh, yeah. One of those Carolinas, Southern Carolina on Tuesday, and it revealed issues and how the candidates view the marijuana reform. Former New York City Mayor Mike Bloomberg doubled down on his opposition to legalization and Senator Bernie Sanders facing questions about the logistics of his plan to legalize in all 50 states on the first day of his presidency. All right. So I've never seen anything quite like Bernie. Bernie is going to do everything on the first day. Right. <laughs> yeah. We're going to have college is going to be free. We're yep. going to have uh, we're going to have uh, single payer. We're going to take uh, With what know, money. <laughs> right. In fact, there was a, there was a number of 60 trillion dollars that one of uh, one of his opponents suggested was the cost of Bernie's plans. But anyway, so there you go. There's wow. the, there's the two ends of the goalposts. You've got. Basically, uh, the ex-mayor doubling down on his opposition to cannabis, and you've got Bernie and others pretty much ready to make cannabis legal almost as fast as they can. The exchange began when a moderator asked Senator Amy Klobuchar, Democrat from Minneapolis, whether Sanders' proposal was realistic. It is realistic to want to legalize marijuana. I want to do that, too, she said. The senator went on to say that legalization should be coupled with investments in substance misuse treatment. Right? I buy that. Legal experts have questioned whether a president could unilaterally lift the prohibition of marijuana immediately. And they have also pointed out that states would likely continue to enforce anti-cannabis laws regardless of a change in the plant status at the federal level. I find that fascinating, right? You get up on these on these debates, you get 24, 25 million people watching them, right? So maybe this is the first time that they've been exposed to some of these issues, and you get people up there basically saying things that absolutely cannot be justified. Hmm. Yet in that one-minute soundbite, it sounds darn good. Yeah. Right? It almost seems like it's a soundbite game, right? I mean, so when, when Senator Warren went after Bloomberg, I'm pretty sure she went after him so that this morning's show, starting at 6 o'clock and, you know, with MSNBC, right? You know, all the way through the day, constantly had her browbeating. Well, yeah, I mean, I worked at the morning show here at WOR. That was pretty much what we were talking about all week. That's amazing, right? Bloomberg, who's one of just two candidates on the stage who opposes marijuana legalization, was then pressed on his record of characterizing cannabis as an addictive drug that has not been adequately researched. The former mayor has also recently faced criticism over a recording that recently surfaced showing him justifying racially disproportionate cannabis arrest during his time in office. Bloomberg said his current position is, quote, you should expunge the records of those that got caught up in this before. He also said we're not going to take it away from states that have already gone ahead and made it legal. All right, so the mayor, once again, can't seem to take a strong position. It seems like he's against cannabis on the one hand. On the other hand, he kind of wants to kind of soft sell it a little bit because he knows that the 33 states are medicinal. And his own state, New York, is about to go adult use at some point in time soon. And so I think he wants to soften the blow. 
He went on to say, you should listen to the scientists and the doctors. They say, go very slowly. They haven't done enough research, and the evidence so far is mixed. Well, I don't disagree with that. We should listen to the scientists. But one of the reasons why they're going slowly is because it's still Schedule 1 at the federal level, and a lot of people shy away from wanting to do the research. I've quoted constantly on this show a number of universities, Harvard, Cornell, and many, many others that are deeply involved in the space, Johns Hopkins, etc., and much of the research is very positive. Senator Elizabeth Warren unveiled her new plan for federal marijuana reform on Sunday, calling for legislation as well as a series of policies aiming at righting the wrongs of the drug war and promoting involvement in the legal industry by communities harmed by prohibition. She calls it, quote, just an equitable cannabis industry, close quote. That's all I want, just an equitable cannabis industry. Hmm. She did introduce some noteworthy ideas, such as protecting immigrants who participate in the legal industry, empowering veterans to access medical cannabis, promoting unionization in the space, and protecting Indian tribes, authority to enact their own reform programs, all of which I think can be positive. But once again, the fascinating thing about our senator from Massachusetts is her constantly trying to challenge the status quo with a number of issues that seem to be focused more on the soundbite than really turning it into true legislation. Biden, who, like Bloomberg, opposes legalizing marijuana, but backs more modest reforms such as decriminalizing possession and expunging records. So what have we got universal? I guess the only universal thing is decriminalizing and expunging records. All right, so let's move on that. Let's go ahead and decriminalize at the national level and expunge records. All right, Flip, since you missed the debate itself, I went back with the help of a few other producers. Yeah. And we dug out a simple paragraph or two that gives you a flavor for what went on. No, I was talking. Very. Oh, what a great! I'm sorry, I missed it. Yeah, it, it was it was it was kind of a food fight. Lots of arguing. Yeah, yeah. there was a, there was a lot of back and forth and. Um, I'm not exactly sure what the net takeaway was. But, not a clue. But one thing is for sure, there's a lot of passion on that stage. Yeah. All right, let's move on and let's talk a little bit about sports. As we predicted on this show countless times over the last several weeks, the NFL is seriously considering ending suspensions for cannabis use. The new policy would also reduce the number of players subject to testing for cannabis and narrow the window when tests can be administered. We have discussed the World Athletic Doping Association, also known as WADA, and the U.S. Anti-Doping Association, also known as USADA, both of whom are responsible for making recommendations in terms of how drug use should be handled at the amateur and professional level. And indeed, both have made strong recommendations to soften up the issue on cannabis. If the deal is ratified, the NFL would become the latest major sport to loosen restrictions for cannabis as a growing number of states enact legalization policies. Major League Baseball announced in December that it will remove marijuana from its list of banned, uh, banned substances. After the MLB cannabis change was revealed, Dallas Cowboys owner Jerry Jones and New England Patriots quarterback Tom Brady said in interviews that the NFL would likely soon be forced to modernize its approach to marijuana. I found Brady's comments particularly interesting since his recent book, TB12, which we've talked about before, talks at length about the power of plants and what it can do for your wellness and what it's done for his. He did not specifically quote cannabis, but his trainer and good friend Alex Guerrero is known to, known to be a big believer in the power of plants as well. I personally think you will see Tom Brady continue to pursue this direction on behalf of plant-based wellness 
once he retires from the league and, quote, gets out of harm's way, close quote. All right, there you, there you have it, our two most important stunners this week. When we come back, we will move on to the third segment of our show, today's guest. Joining us will be Charles Feldman, a trusted advisor for the cannabis industry's largest and most profitable businesses on an international scale. You won't want to miss this one, so come on right back. Are you waking up the day after a workout, tennis match, or even a long walk just feeling it? Introducing CBDeliveryNY.com to help you live the life you know you can. They carry superior CBD made from the highest quality hemp, grown and harvested under the strictest regulations. Their ambassadors are certified trainers, physical therapists, and yoga teachers. They have gone through a rigorous education program, helping them understand what the power of plants can do for your overall wellness. So start 2020 off right. Try one of their New Year's product bundles. Go to cbdeliveryny.com. That's cbdeliveryny.com to find out what the power of plants can do for you. Welcome back to NYCBD with Jeffrey Hill right here on 710WOR Radio in New York City. As you know, after the show airs, we become a podcast on virtually all podcast sites, including iHeartRadio, iTunes, and Spotify. We also have full social media, and we have a YouTube channel, at NYCBD Official. All right, let's move on to the third segment of our show, today's guest. Today, we're thrilled to have with us Charles Feldman. Charles has many titles. He served as a trusted advisor for the cannabis industry's largest and most profitable businesses on an international scale. He uses his past experience as a Marine Corps federal prosecutor, DEA drug task force commander, and state narcotics prosecutor to assist his clients in establishing strict regulatory compliance protocols at the state, federal, and international levels. He represents clients across the globe at the corporate level, as well as the leadership of many countries. Welcome to the show, Charles. Great to have you with us. Well, thank you so much. It's a, it's a pleasure to be on your great show. All right. Well, thank you. So, you know, this is our 42nd show. That means we've done 42 weeks of this, and we've had um, 42 different guests, many of whom you know, uh, leaders in the space, ranging from uh, CEOs to politicians, uh, a number of investors, etc. But I can honestly say we've had, never had anyone with the depth of background that you have. And so with that as background... I'd like to kind of take the audience back a little bit into some of the areas that you've had expertise on before you got into cannabis. So can you share with our audience the highlights prior to getting into the space, please, of your career? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it, it certainly is a very unique uh, background and journey for me. I, I started uh, my legal career as a United States Marine. Um, went through their legal program, went to law school through the Marine Corps, and then uh, practiced uh, doing a lot of big uh, profile in Southern California. We, we worked on a lot of big uh, narcotics uh, cases in Southern California at that time. Um, after I left active duty service with the Marine Corps, I began uh, working for the DEA back in Colorado. I uh, was a, a drug task force commander um, and worked uh, directly um, prosecuting uh, all various forms of Narcotics. So I, I came out of the military uh, very passionate about service, um, be- very passionate about being a Marine. I thought the DEA was a good fit to sort of continue that uh, warrior instinct into the war on drugs and uh, did that very successfully. Uh, by then, uh, I had had my fill of government and, and started my own private law practice. 
Um, and my partner and I began that in, in Colorado. And, and then about 10 years ago is when Colorado began its big social experiment uh, with cannabis. And we had a, a, our first cannabis client was a, a high net worth client that was getting into the space, trying to navigate. Um, and what most people forget back then, I mean, people were still going to prison. Um, so, you know, a decade ago, uh, the threat of, of actually profiting from cannabis uh, and being prosecuted by the DEA was very real. So we are obviously working with clients to how to navigate that. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. That even though a state had legalized it and the, and the federal had. Right. Um, let, let me you know, just jump in there for a minute because I, f- I find yeah. the juxtaposition of your career fascinating. So on the one hand, you were working with the DEA as a drug task force commander and the state narcotics prosecutor. So obviously you were going after, um, you know, the n- narcotics issue. And, you know, prior to that 10 year ago period, cannabis was considered that. And then all of a sudden, you know, the law changes. And h- how was that for you to make to make that transition? Did you just believe that since the law had changed, therefore it was fair and open season or walk us through that a little bit? Yeah, it was, um, you know, Colorado at the time, I think was a, it was a really good state for this entire national social experiment to uh, take place in. It's a small state. Uh, we were not a border state, which, which created a whole different um, set of issues. Um, for cartels and, and the illicit marketplace. Um, so what I saw with the war on drugs, you know, on a very personal level was um, it, the criminal justice system was not the best tool for a lot of the issues we were seeing. Um, and cannabis uh, by far was the least desirable of the cases that we would uh, chase or prosecute or spend resources on. Most of the time back then, we were kind of the Breaking Bad show. It was uh, methamphetamine and cooks and trailers and harming kids. And um, and so very few of our, our cases originated or were focused on, on cannabis or cultivation. Uh, but the few that did really stuck out to me as, um, you know, they were nonviolent. Uh, they, they really did not have sort of the propaganda that I had come to believe that the war on drugs was about. And it really started to change my mindset when I, when I really saw a lot of the war on drugs, not really aligning with some of, you know, what we've all been preached to over the last 40, 50 years. Right. Um, and so that's, that's really kind of where that personal journey started for me. And then several years later, as you know, I'm in private practice as a lawyer um, and seeing Colorado went through the very, you know, much like New York's going through now um, with a referendum, with the people really speaking out, with it starting on the medical side um, and then quickly moving to the recreational side. Um, you, you just really saw the, the full social support of the people. Um, it was a people led organization, uh, people led change not coming from government on high. And that was very effective in Colorado. Um, and some of kind of where I see where New York is right now, 
um, trying to navigate that. It's hard to get a legislative body to uh, really undo 50 years, 60 years of history um, versus by referendum. You have a greater chance for the people to participate. Right. So let's pick up on New York. Um, As most of our audience knows, you know, we have an opening segment called Cannabis in the Tri-State Plus One, which is New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut and Massachusetts. And every week we kind of update our listening audience on where we stand state by state, mostly with the governor and the other critical uh, folks that represent the government describing kind of where we are at in each of these four states. Cuomo has made taken a position for an extended period of time that he is in favor of adult use. He recently announced he is on his way to California, Colorado, Illinois, and Massachusetts to learn more about legislation in those states. Um, I know that you've been involved in a number of these states and that part of your practice looks at the state level and regulations that you think make the most sense at the state level. Who do you see as the model state that new states like New Jersey, like New York, perhaps Connecticut should follow going forward? That, that's a great question. We, we work um, actually at, at this uh, GPS.global consulting company with uh, not only state governments, but international governments faced with the same question. Um, it's a really good time right now for a body, uh, a particular state or geography to move into the cannabis because there's so much to choose from. You, you really have, like with Colorado, a decade worth of trial and error, things that you can look at. Um, so I, I like what your governor is doing. I like the move to uh, do the research, look at all the different um, uh, you know, platforms out there, what's working, what's not. Um, Oklahoma recently did the same sort of thing, um, and it was able to sort of piecemeal together the parts into a new cannabis program that work and get rid of parts that you don't like. Um, the, the one concern I have with some of uh, the governor's uh, where his program, I think he's going is, is one of the downsides to the California marketplace. Um, you know, cannabis is a great source of, of new tax revenue for a state. And you look at Colorado, we're one fourth the size of, of New York. And we had 300 million, over 300 million in tax revenues last year alone. We're now over $1.2 billion in new tax revenues for the state. So multiply that just, you know, stupid math times four to get to where your state is. That's a significant amount of new tax revenue. And that's not playing the game. That's not, hey, we're going to do some creative accounting and move tax revenues from here to the, this is a new source, um, which is a very a, a rarity. So I, I hope there's a lot of study on what worked well in California and also what's not working well, because what we're seeing in California is a lot of that high tax rate is is making the legitimate marketplace very difficult uh, to compete with the illicit marketplace. Um, and right. So let, that's, let me um, let me jump in on there if I can, Charles, yeah, because I, want, I wanted to take us into that direction. The data that I've looked at says that there is a four to one ratio of legal to illegal sales in the state of Colorado. Uh, roughly. So 80% of the marketplace in Colorado is being done in the legal adult use market. Conversely, in California, it's exactly the other way around, right? Yep. So, exactly. you know, we've talked on this show about the issue of taxation, right? 
which is where you were going, right? In other words, if you overtax the category, you leave a window, right, that basically allows the illicit market to move right in. So my question to you is, A, what are the fundamental reasons why you think California has the four-to-one going the wrong way, i.e. towards the illicit market, versus Colorado, number one? And what does that say to other states as they're thinking about moving through the same legalization process? Yeah, that, that, I think you're spot on with, with sort of identifying that issue. Um, California has a very long history of illicit, a, a very illicit business organization. It's just been part of their culture for forever. So what you're trying to do is put a genie back in the bottle, so to speak, and, and trying to create a legitimate um, taxed, state-run organization in a culture that has resisted that for decades. That's very different than Colorado's culture. I think it's very different than the East Coast, uh, New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts. Those are very different. So I would not compare any of them to the California culture. California is going to continue to struggle with that. What California needs, and, and a lot of that industry does not like what I say is, they need more DEA. They need more law enforcement. They need them to be shutting down that illicit, illegal marketplace um, because otherwise legitimate business can never compete. You know, illicit business doesn't pay taxes, doesn't pay their lawyers, doesn't hire accountants. You know, they don't go through all the regulations and the health and safety issues. Um, and so you can't compete with that marketplace. So I really preach coming from the law enforcement side as hey, more than ever, cannabis to succeed in this country, we need aggressive law enforcement to shut down that illicit marketplace. And I've seen that in Colorado. We've, we've worked really well with law enforcement side by f- side. The, the legitimate business people and law enforcement have worked very well together in trying to you know, cut out uh, that illicit side so that the successful business can, can thrive. Right out, um, and and I think I you know I think personally I completely agree with you. In other words, as things become legal, you know some other things become illegal, right? And the only way to distinguish one from the other is to have rules and regulations that are upheld by law enforcement. So whether it's DEA or local law enforcement, there needs to be a defined series of policies and procedures. Those procedures must be passed at the state level, executed at the municipality level, and then enforced, obviously, at the municipality level and at the state level. So I I think you're 100% right. So one thing I'd like to do and pick up on another point that you made, New Jersey is one of our, you know, adjacent states here. And they've really been struggling there. Governor Murphy ran an adult use platform. I'm sure you're well aware of that. Um, he made a commitment that within his first 100 days – I love those commitments, those first 100 days commitments, which, which would work great when you're running for office but almost never can get executed. But nonetheless, he ran on the 100-day platform, and it's been three and a half years, and he's still struggling. Now, they're going to referendum. Now, the um, – and that's going to take place in November of 2020, another 10 months or so. The state house there has – you know, kind of challenged him and many of the folks in the state have challenged them on that being the easy way out. In other words, the government is not taking a position. Rather, they're simply opening it up for referendum. Let the people decide because we can't get out of our own way. That's the counter argument. 
What I thought I heard you say earlier was the referendum might be the better way to go because it allows the people to speak. Could you put a little dimension on that, please? Yeah, I just kind of come back to the experiment out of Colorado and in a lot of the other states that have moved in that. It's it's just very difficult, I've found, for government um, to come together on this issue. Um, it, you know, it involves so many different layers um, and there's so many vested interests. Sometimes law enforcement is very uh, against it. Um, there's job security being threatened by legalizing uh, a drug that uh, we spend so much money on on chasing uh, its illicit uh, background. So there's just it, I just have found it's very, very difficult for government um, to actually move this forward um, as the people have already supported it. And all the numbers I've seen out there, you know, there, there certainly is a overwhelming majority support for it. So what, what I've also seen is the referendum model will push government. It will say, all right, we've decided, we've taken that away from you. This is what we're going to implement. Um, and that, and now go actually implement that. That's where it becomes not always as, as clean and straightforward because, referendums don't envision and take into effect all the different factors of, of establishing a statewide program. So we, we experienced some of that here too, where the people passed something by referendum and then it was like really difficult for government to build the best um, system because they were limited by whatever the language in that referendum indicated. So New Jersey may very well face that, that same similar issue. Um, right. Up. But, in indications, I, I see that's going to pass um, come November, and, and they'll be off to the races moving in that direction. I'm not sure what your intel shows. but No, very much so. I mean, 70-plus percent of the people in New Jersey have stated their interest in uh, passing adult use. Let me ask you one yeah. question, just as a point of view, something that sticks in my craw week after week after week. We know that New Jersey is moving to referendum. We know what's happening there. Uh, this is happening in other states as well. We're just pointing on New Jersey because it's local to, to where the show originates. Uh, and yet the, um, the local law enforcement is arresting 600 people um, a week for cannabis-only offenses, which I find absolutely fascinating. So do you have a point of view on that? Is that atypical? Is that your point that uh, – you know, there's there are certain kind of historical norms that have been established for the police department um, that they, they've been against cannabis for all these years, and it's difficult for them to withdraw from that. I mean, what, what do you think drives this? A state that wants to move yeah. forward, a governor that wants to move forward, yet a police department that constantly arrests people. I, I would say, I mean, the positive that I would tell your listeners is this is the last dying gasp. Um, it, it's sort of a desperate attempt to hold on to the past. Um, it will change. Um, it, it's changing across the country. It's changing across the world. So unfortunately, law enforcement is much like any other, you know, could be similar to uh, unions, could be similar to other professional bodies uh, in the sense that, you know, they look at job security. They look at, you know, business fundamentals um, like any other organization would and and taking a significant source of revenue and activity, unfortunately, is the reaction uh, to a lot of law enforcement that I've run into. Hey, we don't support that because that that just, you know, is going to be taking uh, out of our budget. And, you know, states that have big active civil seizures like like we used to in the DEA, 
that's a big source of revenue for a lot of these organizations is those civil seizures. So what I can tell you, though, and I feel confident in is that is changing. Um, People are no longer content with that. They're not going to continue to put up with that. So whether it be the politicians, the chief of police, um, those organizations may move more slowly than they like, but they are moving. They are moving in what I think is the correct um, where this country wants to go, and, and that is removing this from the criminal justice system. Right. All right. Let, let's let's change subjects for a little bit and move from the state level to the federal level. All right. Um, we seem to be stalemated on the issue of Schedule One, right, at the federal level, and the federal government controls the DEA, the FBI, the, and the you know the Veterans Administration. You know they're all federal agencies, so it forces them to act in a very specific way. Can you? Lucky Land Casino asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We've talked a lot about the VA on this show, Um, but since you're an ex-DEA guy yourself... Uh, are you finding the DEA and the FBI kind of softening its focus in this space because of what's happening at the state level? And then I'd like to separately discuss the VA in a little bit. Yeah, no, I think the DEA FBI's mission has, has radically changed over the last 10 years. Um, it, they have not gone away. They, they still actively prosecute cannabis related um, felonies. Um, and, you know, I still remind clients today that, hey, everything we're doing at the state level is still a felony under federal law. So y- you are actively engaged in a, in a federal felony enterprise, and, and you just got to know that. Um, you know, for other professionals who are licensed or who have casino license, I mean, some of those can have sig- pretty significant consequences. But I do see those missions, those very traditional federal law enforcement agencies um, you have seen movement in, in a positive way, especially when you look at the DEA on the hemp side and, and how ingrained they were in, in fighting hemp um, and to where they've now taken a position now where how that's going to move forward. Um, I think the hemp bill is a great blueprint for potentially how cannabis uh, on a legalized, you know, the, the marijuana side will move forward. Um, you know, moving hemp to a pure agricultural side and a and an FDA side, moving that out of the criminal justice side and the DEA uh, purview uh, could be an indicator of what we may see on on some sort of format. I, I see a lot of people talk about that, but truly, you know, I get asked the question all the time, man. When when are we going to legalize federally? And and I would tell you is. I don't think anybody really knows. And, and if they do, if you're, if you're a believer in sort of the deep state kind of mentality, may, maybe there is some super secret uh, plan. I'm not aware of it. <laughs> I haven't seen it. Right. Um, I don't have that much confidence in our federal government right now that uh, could really pull that off, even if there was one. Um, so I, I think it's going to be very difficult. I don't expect much to change this year, even though it's a, a, a political year. I think our government is so opposed with each other and the president administration and Congress 
it's just tough for them to get anything done that they all agree on. Um, and there's plenty of that that, that just doesn't move forward. And, um, you know, the Safe Banking Act is a great example of that. I, I think there's overwhelming consensus for that. Um, but it's not going to come out of the Senate. It, it's just right. going to die there. And now that you mentioned that, you know, the States' Rights Act, the Safe Banking Act, the Moore Act, you know, there's a bunch of acts that, that would kind of enhance our ability uh, to do business in this category. The States' Rights Act kind of um, sheltering, if you will, the states from federal incursion on those states that have made it medicinally or adult use legal. The Safe Banking Act opening things up to... Um, to enable more banking in the space and, of course, the MORE Act. Um, do you see any of those moving forward? And we don't have that much time, and I don't know that our audience is that intrigued with it. I'm very intrigued with this stuff. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. G- give, give me your thoughts briefly on, you know, without safe banking, you know, it, the category continues to be challenging. And, of course, you've got the 280E issue where effectively you can't take deductions in a cannabis in the cannabis space because it's considered federally illegal. So you've got tax consequence in this category that you don't have anywhere else. Do you see any of these things moving forward in the next, let's say, 12 months? Um, if I had to put money on it, I would say very unlikely. Okay. Um, the only wild card to that would be, you know, Senator Cory Gardner, who's now a very uh, outspoken cannabis supporter. Um so there's there's been a, a a theme that has been promoted that you may see some movement by the Senate to help backstop his election bid, um, and maybe that's how the Safe Banking Act moves out of the Senate. Um, that's about the only legitimate thing that I, I've seen or heard that that I would you know generally say that's got a shot. Um, but again, I, I just think it's going to be a really tough year for anything to get done just due to the animosity between the administration and Congress right now. It's just going to make tough things to get get all that done. Uh, I totally agree. So let's let's move on to the VA if we can here. As an ex-Marine, you have unique perspective on the VA uh, and their thoughts on cannabis. You know, I've had multiple folks on the show who are military vets. Several are now involved in cannabis from a consumption standpoint, also from a business standpoint. Um, It's addressing a number of challenges that they are facing like PTSD, sleep challenges, and other issues. Um, yet the the current VA rule says that doctors cannot discuss cannabis, excuse me, can discuss cannabis, but cannot recommend and will not supply reimbursement. Um, thoughts on that, please? Yeah, that, and that's exact, exactly accurate. Um, I work uh, significantly with the VA here um, out on, on the Colorado side, um, have worked extensively also with veterans. And and I can tell you, it is hands down the science behind how cannabis has saved veterans' lives when it comes to PTSD-related issues. Um, And also on the law enforcement side, you know, they're sort of another veteran community that struggle with similar issues. Um, What I've seen is the VA, you know, there's a formal position, and then there's a very different um, doctor-patient relationship. And I think far more Doctors and patients are discussing uh, CBD, health, um, how cannabis affects and works with PTSD. There's, there's far more open discussions between physicians and their patients. Um, but again, we're limited. The, the VA is not going to um, officially allow prescriptions for any of that or, you know, which is real for a lot of people. 
Um, when you get free medication from the VA as a veteran and you have to go purchase your own cannabis, that makes it really tough to switch over to that form of, of medicine that, that can truly provide you some relief. So until that gets addressed, it's going to be a very difficult subject for uh, veterans to get behind. But I can say I'm seeing it change. I'm, I'm in the middle of it, watching it change around me. Um, so it's coming. Right. Oh, and I'll just add my, my own point of view. Um, the ex-secretary Shulkin, one year after leaving office, um, where he did not take a pro-cannabis position, is now kind of taking a very pro-cannabis position. Sometimes I, I think that that's a little frustrating from my perspective. When people can make a difference when they're in office, they choose not to. Yet when they're out, well, out of office, they they choose to step up. Um, and you begin to question what, what, what the motivation is there. So to the extent that Shulkin, being an ex-secretary, can have some value moving the VA forward, I think that uh, that can only be a positive. All right, let's talk I'm for a, a few minutes about international. You've been working with over 30 governments in the cannabis space and on hemp legislation. Uh, Israel was, I believe, the first country in 1991 to medicinally allow, you know, uh, study. We've got Canada being the first country to allow adult use throughout the entire country. Um, that puts America, you know, meaningfully behind on both the medical side and the adult use side. Uh, two perspectives. Who do you think is leading the uh, the world in cannabis, if you will? Uh, and secondly, where do you see uh, America in terms of catching up or not catching up? Yeah. Great question. I mean, that is pretty much what I spend my entire days on now is building strategy, um, not only for clients entering the space or for capital groups looking to deploy capital. Um, we do a lot of advisement to help guide uh, where that capital should be deployed. And really what I saw, you know, several years ago when I got outside the U.S. bubble and onto the international scene is the rest of the world is off to the races with cannabis and hemp. I mean, they they do not have sort of the moral prohibition or issues that we as a country have, you know, aligned or, or promoted with cannabis. Um, they are off trying to build medical insurance-based systems, the R&D, the intellectual property. Um, I just spoke in Africa about a month ago, and that continent is, you know, look, they, we've they have a cheap labor source. They have free sunshine. They see this potential agricultural crop as, as a continent changer for their economies. You've got South America, Brazil, uh, Uruguay. I mean, Colombia is, a, is an amazing hotspot. Uh, then you get to the EU. I mean, you start talking about what, you know, where Germany is going with this and, and sort of the rest of the EU as that's expanding. There's just some really amazing opportunities to uh, either A, invest or participate. Um, and a lot of our clients, especially on the hemp side, are you got to have a global perspective now. If you're going to survive in this industry, you've got to really look at how am I participating in that global supply chain. Right. Um, and just because my hemp product may be coming from, you know, Kentucky today, uh, it's not going to be very long before you're competing with, again, hemp out of Africa and hemp out of Central and South America um, and all of those products where, you know, it's sort of that China model. They they can grow it and manufacture it and ship it here cheaper than we can inside the state. So we're going to see um, very similar uh, economic factors uh, like that around the world. But I, I'm fascinated with what's going on around the world. There's just so many different 
um, spots and they're little microcosms of our states. You know, they're all also trying to figure out what's the best way to do this. Right. Um, what's what's the best design? What worked and what didn't work, and and how do we put that into their local system? You know, uh, one thing, Charles, and then we're going to have to wrap. We've got a number of investors um, that are in and around the space, and many that are listening to the show right now. Is there a particular sweet spot? You mentioned the international marketplace, but if you think about the supply chain from what I'll call genetics all the way up through uh, consumption, dispensing and consumption, is there a particular sweet spot that you see as the emerging spot that you'd encourage the listeners to take a look at? I do. I mean, uh, to me, it's sort of where I see 2020 going to be different than 2019. It's going to be back to basics. So, you know, I'll be speaking in Tel Aviv next uh, next month on exactly this topic. Um, cannabis around the world and especially in the U.S. for investors, it's a back to basics. You've got to look for not the flash, not the sexy, oh, we're just going to print money because it's cannabis. You've got to find actual companies who have actual revenues, who have an actual C-suite, you know, an executive team who've been around, who, you know, have a strategy for competing and pivoting and navigating forward. It's, it's boring. It's not as sexy. Um, it's a lot of work. But if you're going to invest in cannabis on any level, whether you're the retail investor or even as we're, you know, navigating and guiding some, some major fund groups, it's the same analysis. You, you're going to have to do uh, that same homework and you're going to have to pick out who you think are the winners um, because there's still, I'll tell you, it, it, in my opinion, 90% of cannabis is still absolute bull. There's everybody out there selling, hustling, uh, promoting. They've got the most amazing brand. Uh, we've got more money than God that we can dump into, you know, again, it's business fundamentals is what you want to look for. Right. Um, I think that's a good place to leave it, Charles. I'm getting a little bit of a hook from awesome. my, my producer, uh, Flips here. So I want to thank you for your time today. I think that you uniquely are capable and did a wonderful job of touching on some of the critical issues you know, across the entire business. So I want to thank you for coming on the show and uh, hope to get you back sometime soon. Look forward to it. It was right. a pleasure, and thank you very much. All right, when we come back, we'll move on to the, seg- the last segment of our show, Your Messages. Are you waking up the day after a workout, tennis match, or even a long walk just feeling it? Introducing CBDeliveryNY.com to help you live the life you know you can. They carry superior CBD made from the highest quality hemp, grown and harvested under the strictest regulations. Their ambassadors are certified trainers, physical therapists, and yoga teachers. They have gone through a rigorous education program, helping them understand what the power of plants can do for your overall wellness. So start 2020 off right. Try one of their New Year's product bundles. Go to cbdeliveryny.com. That's cbdeliveryny.com to find out what the power of plants can do for you. Welcome back to NYCBD with Jeffrey Hill. Don't forget, I have a blog at medium.com slash at Jeffrey Hill 2. That's medium.com slash at Jeffrey Hill 2. So take a look if you can. All right, let's move on to the fourth segment of our show, responding to your messages. We had several messages this week, but we could only get to one. So let me talk about this one from Janine in Brooklyn. She says, I'm a yoga teacher considering entering the CBD business with a brand of my own for my yoga students. I've done my homework and plan to source my product from Colorado. 
Is there any issue with shipping the product to New York across state lines? Well, Janine, the December 2018 Farm Bill made CBD legal, including shipping it across the state line. But I'd strongly encourage you to partner up with some local suppliers here in New York. It would support local farmers, and the product quality from the right suppliers is extremely high and will take a lot of risk out of the business for you. Right? If you want to bring your yoga students product in the space, I think that's a wonderful idea because it should go a long way to addressing some of their critical issues, but you need to be careful. It's a completely different business and requires a number of skills that you need to make sure you bring along with you. All right. If you call the show when we're off the air, I can provide some more thoughts on this topic. All right. I hope you enjoyed today's show. And our guest, Charles Feldman, will be back next week for another 60 minutes of the critical issues facing cannabis and CBD, the financial implications, the political implications, and the societal implications. Remember, knowledge is built brick by brick. Today, you get my 42nd brick. Until next week, this is NYCBD with Jeffrey Hill. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.